Hey, welcome to episode two of the Knucklehead Grappler. Today's app is going to be with Gino Juicy Gambino. Now, for those of you who don't know who he is, he is a commentator and wrestler for New Japan. We go through his humble beginnings in a garage and getting kicked out to wrestling at the Tokyo Dome. We also go into turning an old wrestling persona into a fried chicken business and unwittingly signing up to a left Wi-Fi. Now, thanks for all the feedback that was given throughout the week. I really appreciate it. If you want to abuse me or compliment me, it's theknuckleheadgrappler at gmail.com or theknuckleheadgrappler on Instagram. Thanks for listening. So, let's start from the beginning. How did Gino start his career? Where is the origin story taking us? Jay, I think I think the start of my journey... It's just like anyone probably our age, roughly, wrestling was quite popular on television. I don't know if you remember, Channel 10 used to run uh, Superstars late at night, hosted by Kevin Kelly, who I work with now. Uh, And you just sort of go into wrestling. At the same time, I was doing karate uh, for Bob Jane, who's a massive name, mind you, in the karate world. And no, Bob Jones. Bob Jones, the tire. I was going to say, the guy that owns the the tires. No, Bob Jones, sorry. Bob Jones. tires. So Bob Jones was a massive name back in the day, by the way. It's like huge. Like he he's the one who uh, made karate popular in Australia in the nineties. He's he brought in this style Zendu Kai from things. So I was I was still like doing martial arts and a bit of something, but I wanted to do wrestling. I wanted to do professional wrestling. I used to watch guys like Stone Cold and The Rock and be like, I want to do that because I felt like they were all millionaires, which I've very quickly discovered there is no money to be made in professional <laughs> wrestling. Um, so I used to watch it with friends and we used to do the usual, you know, wrestling in our backyard, wrestling in our lounge room. Um, and then I kind of went to a show, uh, a local show. My dad happened to know the promoter. They were doing, uh, Macedonian radio together (laughs) (laughs) and, um, and he got tickets. He got like comp tickets and it was around the corner at the Epping Macedonian hall. Uh, and we went there and it was popular, man, because, People would watch wrestling on the Monday, Tuesday, or the Wednesday, whenever it was on Channel 10. I think it was a Wednesday. And then Saturday, go to the show. So we were we were seeing crowds at this show of, you know, maybe 1,200 people, which back, even now, is a, is a big number for local wrestling in Australia. Um, and would go to this show, and I used to think it was great, like, you know, seeing a wrestling ring up close and, you know, seeing these guys. There were some jacked guys, but there were some guys that looked a bit shit as well. But, um... Mm-hmm. And I was like, I just felt like I could do it. Um, and yeah, so just sort of kind of fell into it from there. Ended up uh, getting a flyer for a training session when I was about 17 and drove my car when I was 18. I had a little Ford Laser. Just made it to Bayswater every Thursday night for training in a shed. And yeah, now now I'm here 15 years later. Now, you say that you were... Um training with friends in backyards when did it step up like where did you go where was there to train how did that well, there, get going there really wasn't anywhere to train the history is a little bit uh askew in australia with what happened but there was a major federation or promotion whatever you want to call it called pcw uh they were pretty much doing all the big things in wrestling in victoria at the time um this is just again this is just my sort of opinion the guys who were very big, the Mare Milanos, the Spiros Aranoses, the guys that who were major in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, 
kind of failed to carry through through the 90s. So from probably 1990 to early 2000, maybe 99, there was nowhere really to go and train. Um, there was a split with PCW. They ended up uh, branching out. like they, they had a bit of a disagreement. And mm-hmm. I started with the branch out, which was PWA. So there was a little shed or a little factory in Bayswater um, that pretty much started running training. So I, I was wrestling in my backyard when I was 15, 16, um, but training started as a professional when I was 18. Once I had a car, I was, I think it was the first thing I did. I think I drove to training. Mm-hmm. Now the adjustment of just being a kid an enthusiast to an actually fully getting booked kind of wrestler. What was that adjustment like physically? Like, did you physically prepare yourself for that? Or was it just one of those things was a school of hard knocks kind of thing? I think it's a bit of both. I mean, I didn't physically prepare because I don't prepare for anything. I'm kind of, you know, you've known me long enough that I just do, <laughs> I just try and do whatever I can to get by. Um, yeah. And, and, and this is the belief, unfortunately, amongst yourself, amongst people who do jiu-jitsu, who do boxing, is that wrestling isn't real, right? So mm. you go there with this expectation that, well, it's not going to hurt and it's pretty easy and all this shit, and then you get bashed. And that's mm-hmm. the legitimate of it. You actually get your ass handed to you at at the training center and you go, I don't know if I'm ready for this. And the good thing about that is it weeds out a lot of the fans who come along to try and see if they can be a professional wrestler because mm-hmm. they last about two or three weeks and you never see them again. Now, what yeah. they usually do is go and tell all their mates that they are a professional wrestler because they train <laughs> for two and three weeks, right? Um, yeah. And I'm sure that happens in the jiu-jitsu world as well, but... The truth is, uh, you really have to stick it out. There's a really famous stories. Even Hogan got his leg broke um, in training because they were really tight on keeping things legit back then. But even now, like, it's hard. It's a hard sport to sort of be a part of. And I really, whenever I speak to someone, they're like, oh, yeah, but, you know, it doesn't really hurt. I'm like, come down to training and do what we do. And if you get through two weeks, I'll take my hat off to you and, and respect you. But until you do, I'm really... I'm really conscious about what people say about it. But no, I, I didn't prepare, but the school prepared me the best they could, mm-hmm. I guess. But um, Who was in yeah. charge of that? Uh, at the time, uh, it was Jay Andrews and a wrestler called Lobo, who was actually quite popular in Australia in the in the late 90s, early 2000s. Jay Andrews actually still runs a school at the moment in Thomastown, mm-hmm. um, the MCW Academy. So if you, that's probably the best place to train in Victoria at the moment. Um, there is a few other schools out in Sunshine. There's one that's been there for about 40 years. It's in it's in a man's shed in Sunshine. Not a shed. It's not even a shed. It is a garage with a wrestling ring made out of towels. Okay, but <laughs> but God bless George Julio. That's his name. Uh, he yeah. kicked me out of that school. I went there once, um, and me and a guy decided to spar in there, and it got a bit heated. So he kicked us out. I was never allowed back. Um, but it's probably for the best. But some really good wrestlers came out of that school because his fundamental training was really good. And that's what's really important. If you've got a good foundation, you can build the rest of the house yourself. Um, but, yeah, Jay Andrews still runs a school. And he was he, he even admits himself he wasn't a nice person to us because he didn't want to be because he wanted us to understand that this is a difficult road. It's not just, you know, what you see on TV that you're going to walk in and throw a couple of punches and, you know, everyone's going to love you. It's, it's a really tough road to sort of go down. Mm-hmm. Now, talk me through those fundamentals. In your kind of new career as an analyst, what do you see as the pro wrestling fundamentals? I think I think I didn't realise how important 
uh, submission and grappling was. To me, it was more about showmanship. I thought to myself, well, if I looked big and I had a dumb haircut and I I was loud, and I, that would get me through it. And now I watch wrestlers. There's one particular wrestler, and I, I really recommend looking him up. His name is Zack Sabre Jr. Mm-hmm. I've never seen a man so technically gifted. How mm-hmm. he's not actually doing MMA is shocking to me. But his submission to submission, his grapple to grapple is so... Uh, unique, like I'm sure you you guys have probably seen it. Like jujitsu, you see it all the time. But in wrestling, when you see a man like him, you're like, how did he even think to get from one hold to the other? And that comes from training. Now you train a particular style. My style was never going to be submission wrestling. Um, I'm a bit, you know, yourself. I'm I'm not exactly a slim guy. I'm not very svelte. Mm-hmm. I I'm quite a larger guy. So I thought, okay, well, me, it's just going to be hard strikes and hard knocks. Um, mm-hmm. But the fundamental of pro wrestling is pretty much grappling. Okay, mm-hmm. rest catch can wrestling is still really important as a fundamental. Huge. You cannot go into a ring and face another person and not have an understanding of biomechanics and how wrestling works. As mm-hmm. much as people want to be like, oh, it's just a show. If you go into the ring and you don't know wrestling, like catch can wrestling, you'll mm-hmm. be exposed. It's like it's like never boxing before. And doing a bit of shadow boxing and then going, well, I'm going to get in the ring with Manny Pacquiao. It just you will spot that person and go, what What are they doing? Like they're not, they don't know how to box. Same with wrestling. If you haven't got that real fundamental of, of catch can wrestling, it, you're wasting your time. Yeah. Now, so what you are advocating is is cross training. Would you advocate cross training, or do you Absolutely. think stick it's, to the fundamentals? Of no, no, cross training is great. I, I, look, it's something that's been said a few times over the years. More recently, as as MMA sort of starts picking up popularity, it's probably the most popular now. But mm. back in the day, if there was MMA, a lot of pro wrestlers would have gone to that because Hell they yeah. started off as catch can wrestlers, as jiu jitsu, as Brazilian jiu jitsu, um, aikido, all that sort of thing that is now like. Like you guys, are, like I understand, you, you don't just stick to one thing. You, you understand it's mixed martial arts. You're, yeah. you're doing you're doing all aspects of it. So wrestling is the same. You have to be at least at a foundation level across everything. I can still do a submission, mm-hmm. right? Am I good at it? No, but I can still do it because if I don't know how to do it, how do I expect to get out of it? Mm-hmm. If I don't yeah. learn how to a cross face or a chicken wing. I don't know what you guys call it. We call it chicken wings or stuff Double like that. Double wrist locks. Yeah, like all that. that stuff. Um, if I'm on the ground and someone's mounted my rear or, or I was on top of me, I'm, what do I do? If I don't know how they got into it, how the fuck am I going to get out of it? Like, it's <laughs> not... It, and this is the thing. I think it's really important, and especially now with everything that's available to you on the internet and streaming, watching fighting is the best way to learn how to fight. Because you watch things and you go, I had no idea that was even possible. But look how he got out of it. Or look how she moved from this. Or look how he did this. And it's important to... It's like studying. We call it tape study in wrestling. I don't know if it's the same thing with you guys. Do you guys yeah, do man. tape study? Yeah? Yeah. A little bit. Definitely. Now, so you get into it as an 18, 19-year-old. When do you start seeing progress, man? Uh, when I started taking gas. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, look, to be honest, I, were, I was training a lot and it just wasn't, the, the coin wasn't dropping, okay? I was just like, something I'm not getting. And then honestly, one day I just went to training and it's as if the penny dropped, man. It's as if I just went, 
I get this now. I get what I'm trying to do here. Like, it's all making sense. I kind of simplified it for myself because you have so many different coaches. We had, we had a different coach every session, um, and it would be a different type of training. I'd be like, geez, this is a different way, and this is complicated, and this guy told me to do it this way, and this guy's telling me to do it another way. I think it dropped for me once I simplified it and just went, my objective is this, and if I stick to this objective, I can get it. So probably about... I'm going to say about a year into training that it really sunk in that I kind of knew what I was doing and I was seeing myself become a wrestler rather than someone just trying to do moves or trying to do breakfalls or whatever it might be. I legitimately saw myself as this is the path I want to take as a wrestler, so that's the way I'm going to go. Mm -hmm. Now, with that, was there anything mentally that you did to get you to that point? Uh, look, probably not. Um, what did change? I was I was quite a. I mean, I'm a fat now, but I was quite a pudgy kid. Um, when I started realizing that the better I ate, the better I felt, the better I trained, that made a big difference in what I was doing. There was times where I would eat macas before I went to training and be like, "Why was I so blown up? Why was I so tired?" Not realizing that's what was affecting me. And once it changed to the protein shakes, the gym, the roast chicken, I was, I was all of a sudden training a lot harder. And I made the correlation that shit, good food <laughs> and training well is helping me. So, yeah, I think, uh, I, think when, I mean, not so much mental preparedness, but uh, ma- maturing my thoughts as in becoming uh, an adult and going, hey, what I put in my body is important. How I train is important. My rest days are important. Like, I'm sure you would have been the same when you were 18. You just went to the gym every day. You're just like, I've got to do shoulders for three hours, right? And then you'd be like, why are my shoulders growing? It just it yeah. takes time for your brain to mature to be like, hey, you know what? Uh, maybe if I took two rest days and, you know, had a roast chicken instead of a Big Mac, I'd feel better. Yeah, man. I don't have the kind of genetics you do. When I did shoulder day, <laughs> nothing happened, man. <laughs> Mate, honestly, it's not my shoulders that grow. My back. I could I could sneeze and my back grows, but the yeah. rest of me is stubborn. <laughs> yeah, I'm that I'm like that with legs. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's funny. It's, everyone's got that one muscle group that no matter what you do, you just you're exploding in size. Um, yeah. I had a mate that honestly I don't think I ever saw him do arms, but had biceps bigger than my head. Like I was just like, <laughs> I don't think you do arms, mate. But it's just the way it is. Same with my back. If I did a, a set of seated rows now, I, I wouldn't fit on the screen. Like yeah, that's, that's, that's where it would be. <laughs> I can't sit down in jeans. Yeah. <laughs> right. So flashing forward to when you were at your peak at MCW. Yeah. When you could do no wrong. Well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, look, you did plenty wrong, you but you know wrong, what I mean. Yeah. When you yeah. were like at the peak. Yeah. And when you were, I, I dare say it, at your physical peak too. Yeah, yeah, I can agree with that. There was a stage I probably went through, uh, I, I was putting on weight again. I, I fluctuate really, like I was, I was fluctuating between, and I know this sounds crazy, between 160 and 125 over a year period, mm-hmm. right? So dropping and gaining 40 kilos, it, it mixed. Like it would happen, I you don't know, strangely. And then I, um, I decided that like I kind of had enough of being overweight, and I kind of had enough of not making money from wrestling. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, what do I have to do? And then I remembered back to when I was 18. I was like, what did I want? And I said, I wanted to be the big guy that was the, also, you know, the fan favorite. 
um, and was a bit of a powerhouse. And to do that, I had to drop 40 kilos and then build muscle, which is what I ended up doing. Um, I spent a lot of time in the gym with a guy who's at WWE now, Brendan Vink. Um, Mm -hmm. He was my trainer for a year and he took me from 163 kilos down to, I think I got down to 108. Um, And then I got up to 125 and that was my peak. Me at 125, everyone's got their their nice weight that they sit at that's quite, that you feel comfortable because I don't like being a smaller guy. Um, Mm -hmm. So 108 was really, I mean, you knew me. If I didn't eat, I'd fucking, I'd have a spaz out. (laughs) I'd be grumpy (laughs) for three days. But when I got to 125, I felt so good in my own skin that it showed through my wrestling. Like, my confidence came out, and I think that's why fans were more like, hey, we get what this guy is doing now. And then I ended up doing um, a show in Perth, which is like the biggest show in the Australian wrestling calendar, which is their Interstate Invitational. So they invited Mm -hmm. me to be the representative for Victoria in that match. Mm -hmm. So that was massive for me too. Um, And I started collecting championships and titles and stuff along the way. So it was pretty massive. It It was a pretty big sort of peak in my career. Mm-hmm. You even had guys coming in from overseas to wrestle you, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I had I had a couple. I've wrestled some even WWE legends. I wrestled uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Jake the mm-hmm. Snake Roberts. Um, like uh, I wrestled Seth Green once. You know the actor Seth Green. <laughs> yeah. I wrestled him. <laughs> I wrestled him at a comic book expo. Um, but yeah, it was it was at a point where I was wrestling internationals and I was starting to get noticed on the overseas market, mainly Japan. I'd made mm-hmm. a bit of a connection in Japan with a friend of mine there who, who's become almost like a mentor now um, mm-hmm. and has led me where I am now. But uh, I started getting noticed. I was wrestling a lot in New Zealand as well, which was massive. Um, so, yeah, things just started picking up. As I said, I think that that confidence, that mindset of, okay, I'm at, I'm at the body condition I want to be in. I'm training hard. I'm lifting hard. It's starting to now pay dividends. Mm-hmm. Now, you said you mentioned a mentor. Do you want to? Yeah. Elaborate yeah, on that. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, um, I was wrestling in New Zealand uh, with a friend of mine, Travis Banks, uh, and I was wrestling. Uh, Travis Banks is in WWE now too. Yeah, uh, I was going to say. Yeah, I was also wrestling name, yeah. with um, uh, against a guy called Hanare, who's also in New Japan now. So these are all names like we all kind of started making it together. Um, mm-hmm. While I was wrestling, I met a, a, a guy by the name Tox Farley. Uh, mm-hmm. His wrestling name is the Underboss uh, Farley. Big. Big Islander guy, tattoos on his head. Really, if you met him, you would cross the road. Like, I don't care how tough you are. This guy is six foot six and almost 140 kilos and tattoos on his head. Right? You'll cross the road. Nicest guy you'll ever meet. Yeah. And um, he came up to me, started chatting. goes, oh, look, I might be in Australia in a couple of weeks. That's a, I'll do my father. Look, bro, I might be in Australia in a couple of weeks. And he goes, do you want to catch up for coffee? And I said, sure. I thought nothing of it. I really didn't think. He would even contact me. And then I had my phone ring, and it was a New Zealand mobile number. I was like, he's calling me from New Zealand. Uh, and it was, he was like, hey, bro, I'm in Chadston. Come have a coffee. And I was like, all right, I'm on my way. Um, I'm pretty sure I called in sick for work, went and had a coffee with him. <laughs> um, and he's, he was saying, look, I'm looking for a, a business partner to start off with in Australia to get the ball rolling because he goes, I see a lot of talent in Australia and New Zealand. I don't feel they utilize. Do you want to help me? He goes, a lot of people have rejected my offer because they don't think they can trust me. And I said to him, look, until you prove I can't trust you, I've got no reason not to. And we did, and 
now, five years later, it's probably been the best move him and I have ever made. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm driving my dream car because of the work him and I did, which yeah is wild. Yeah, that's crazy. Was he your in at New Japan? He was, yeah. So he made the introduction for me. What his mm-hmm. initial goal was, was to run a promotion in Australia that was affiliated with New Japan. Okay. And uh, I, I said, yeah, look, that's interesting. But, like, I didn't think it was feasibly possible at the time. And I just said to him, what about a tryout? What about we run the opportunity at camp for, uh, for two days where wrestlers from New Zealand and Australia can all come and have the opportunity to show their wares in front of the decision makers of New Japan, uh, and they can pick whoever they like. They can pick 10 people, they can pick one, they can pick no one, but at least they've seen what's available in Australia. And he agreed, and we organised it. I mean, the stress of organising it, I'll give you a really quick story. I Mm -hmm. was driving home from the gym. I get a phone call from the New Japan office, uh, it's before I knew anyone at the New Japan office, <laughs> and they go to me, um, the people that are coming, uh, they're at the airport, they can't check in. And I went, oh, I'm like, okay, um, let me send you the details. I'm looking through my emails, I'm like, where's their flight details? Looking, looking, I found it, open up the email, and it says, <laughs> it says, uh, this booking is not complete. I thought it was a complete booking. So I call up the agency and they're like, no, you, you haven't completed the booking. You have to press the link and then blah, blah, blah. I'm like, so their flights aren't booked. They're like, no. And I was like, these guys are at the airport. They're the most important people in all of Japanese wrestling and I've left them stranded. So I, I right, luckily I wasn't far from home, raced home, got on a laptop and I thought, okay, the worst thing it's going to do is going to cost me five or six grand in flights. I'm like, let me see what I can do. I jumped on the laptop there was two seats left for these guys from Tokyo to Auckland. I was going to Auckland first, and I was leaving like two hours later, and I just booked it, sent it. I'm like, oh, I did lie. I said, oh, look, sorry. <laughs> I, I meant these flights. And they're like, oh, no problem. Happens all the time. And I was like, I was ready to spend 10 grand because I thought mm. if they don't come, it's ruined. The whole the whole business partnership is ruined. But they made it, and they came to – they did Auckland and Melbourne, and – um. Out of it was uh, Hanare got picked up. Oh, he might have been a little bit before, and myself. So out of that, out of that whole uh, camp, they I guess liked what they saw in me and they ended up working with me for a little bit. Right. Now you put on a New Japan event from that in Australia, mm. did you not? Yeah, me and Farley did it together. We promoted the first ever uh, New Japan tour of Australia. Mm-hmm. Some of the, some of the hardest work I've never promoted anything before. Mm-hmm. Um, legitimately, some of the hardest work. I, I shed many tears on many sleepless nights. Um, I had a lot of help from a lot of friends, which was good as well. Um, because yeah, it, it was a while. It was a wild time. But out of that came such a good relationship between me and New Japan that I now work for them um, mm. because they knew who I was. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been on the map. But it was a big risk. Like Fale and I put our own money into it to to make sure that it succeeded and luckily the the tour did otherwise i know i'm going to be bankrupt right now to be honest and and so could farley and it was a big risk and i think a lot of people especially the local talent we put on that show i think they appreciate how much risk we took to make sure that they got put on that show as well Mm. now what i find interesting is definitely your transition 
to commentator slash analyst. Mm. How did that come about? Um, look, there's, there's probably more to the story than I know, but there was a time where uh, I feel New Japan weren't that interested in me anymore. Um, maybe they, I just wasn't the right time, but I, I was wrestling in Australia a fair bit, and uh, I was like, okay, well, maybe they'll be interested in me in the future. Um, but I built a relationship with one of their uh, talent guys, one of their one of their general managers, who was like, hey, look, um, I know it's not wrestling, but uh, we do need an analyst. Good, good speaking English by me. We do need someone to to broadcast for us. We we need an English speaking broadcaster. Um, one of our guys has taken another job. You know, we're just trying different people. And they had tried probably about four or five people before me that didn't seem to have worked out. Um, now, I hadn't done much of it before, but I also, you know, I also listened to, like, Shivani and Rogan and stuff, and I'm like, I like their style of someone who legitimately just enjoys fighting and mm-hmm. just talks about it. Another big one for me is Dermot Bird. And Dermot, <laughs> Dermot loves football. So yeah. he watches the football and he sits there and he talks about it. And the way I sort of molded myself was if I was sitting in a room with my mates and watching this, what would I say? Because I think that's what broadcasting should be. Because we now when you do podcasts, you're listening to it as if you're listening to a conversation. Mm-hmm. I think if it's really dry, if you call it like horse racing, people sort of drown it out. But if you're having a, le- a legitimate something to say, a conversation about wrestling, about what you're watching, I think it draws people in. So I ended up going on my first tour, which was the tour of Dontaku in 2019, um, which was a year ago, pretty much last week. And it just got really good reviews from fans and from other wrestlers, and they were really happy with me. Uh, then they brought me back for the Best of Super Juniors, which is one of the biggest tournaments of the year. Um, and, you know, I got to go to, like, Osaka Joe Hall. I got to do Goku Sumo Hall. Um, you know, places that I've only dreamt of even visiting, let alone performing at. So so now I'm kind of in this position where, like, I really still enjoy wrestling, but I, I'm really enjoying this broadcasting side. And I guess it, it happens a lot in all sort of mixed martial arts. People sort of start ending their career because, shit, the amount of blows to the head I've taken, I'm lucky I remember my name sometimes, but... It's now an e- it's so easy on my body. I just sit there and enjoy wrestling, which is it's just massive. It's a it's a massive lucky streak that they wanted to throw the dice on me and it worked out. Mm. Now, what's it like living in Japan? Like that that must be incredible, yeah. It, it really is. Uh, it's <sighs> and their attitudes towards wrestling as well, which is almost sport. second it's, to none. Yeah, it's a real sport to them. Um, in Japan, it's a sport. You know, there's, there's a meme that goes around that's like, you know, in Japan, it's a sport. In Canada, it's a tradition. In the UK, it's, you know, they, they have this real sort of, it's an interesting meme. I'll send it to you. Um, and it is, it, it, like, the sports pages are filled with pro wrestling. Um, mm-hmm. The biggest show of the year in Japan, which is Wrestle Kingdom, mm-hmm. um, it's it's huge. And it is, it's it's a day. It's a, it's a big day in Japan. Like, people tune in. They get 60,000-odd fans into the Tokyo Dome. Like, it's massive, and, you know, getting noticed on the street, getting stopped for photos, um, having fans take you out for dinner, it's it's a really bizarre experience. It's not something in Australia... Like, in Australia, sometimes you're lucky if the fans wash their hands before they shake it. <laughs> uh, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of lovely ones, too, but, there's, but in Japan, they just... They treat you like you're a movie star, so really... And because you are to them. Like, they... I think they appreciate how hard pro wrestling is. And that the fact you're doing it for their entertainment, 
I think they're really respectful about it. Now, do New Japan have the same kind of, I guess, uh, performance center that the WWE have, or is it just like separate gyms? No, they have a they have a dojo. Um, everyone yep. everyone has to start at the dojo unless you're like a, a already established wrestler. Uh, mm-hmm. The dojo is uh, really a school of hard knocks. The dojo is uh, a really hard place for what they call them young lions. They go through the dojo. It's a really uh, life changing experience. It's it's it could be six months to three years depending on like your progress, but mm-hmm. it's daily chores. It's up at six a.m. to clean the toilets and cook lunch for later, then training, then lunch. And then you're expected to go out drinking and drinking heavily. Like there's no, yeah. there's no, I'm tired. You're going out. Um, and their days as a young lion's wild. They, you know, they're so respectful. They're, they're up at like before anyone else to wash, you know, people's clothes and then pack the bus and set up the ring and like really old school, like dojo yeah. stuff. Like, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm guessing it was the same back when jujitsu started, like it would have been a real, like the white belts really had to look after the senpais, but um, yeah, it's a real, it's a real strange experience. Like I, I get really, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, embarrassed. I'm like, no, don't take my bag. Don't like, I never, like I never ask them to wash my stuff because I, I, I'm like, I am a nothing. I am, I am nobody. Like they look after the big senpais, but they're so respectful. They want to make sure you're okay. Um, and boy, can they drink? Oh my God. They, I'm sure you have some stories. Oh my! Oh, there isn't, mate. <laughs> yeah. Look, I this. Let me just give you a quick one. There is a Seven Eleven. Seven Eleven's there. If you've ever been to Japan, you will know. Seven Eleven's, Lawson's, and um, Family Mart are, are amazing. Like you can get some of the best food in the world from these places. And the Seven Eleven does a pasta and sausage microwave meal. And I remember eating it after probably having a good, like two liter bottle of sake. And then I'm waking up and there's being like vomit spaghetti all over the floor leading up to the toilet. I don't remember doing it. I'm assuming it was me, but it's just there's a lot of heavy drinking in Japan. It's, it's actually quite enjoyable because if you're hungover, they kind of like respect it. They're kind of like, yeah, you're hungover. Good on you. Like you, you've worked hard. So it is it is an interesting time. Mm. Now, after they become young lines, what happens from there after that three like maximum mark? So they go on what's called an excursion. Um, mm-hmm. So they they disappear for pretty much an X amount of time. Um, they can be sent anywhere around the world to perfect their craft, pretty much. They're sent away and pretty much told, go work out who you are as a professional wrestler mm-hmm. and we'll tell you when you're ready. Um, mm-hmm. So they might go to Mexico for three years and never be heard of again. Um, or they might go to the UK for six months and come back and be a superstar it's a matter of them finding their own feet. They're like, we've given you all the tools. Now you go build your own house and we'll tell you when to come back. If your house is good enough, they're watching. They're constantly mm-hmm. watching. They are watching this right now. I promise you. <laughs> you kidding. They, no, they, they are watching everything because it is about respect and tradition for them. It is important that they, uh, they keep what is sacred to them. And that's a really an amazing thing to be around because, you know, I think we've lost that a little bit. In, in our own culture, we're just sort of doing our own thing, but these guys are pretty much, this is what you do, this is your career and your profession, 
so respect it um so yeah so a lot of guys get sent to the u.s mexico new zealand or some you know hopefully in australia soon we'll have a couple the uk and they're just yeah they're told go become the professional wrestler you want to be and when we think you're good enough we'll give you the call Mm. so you could train for a year and get your ass handed to you just to go away and never be seen again right so the guys that finally do get called the call back what happens to them like Uh, how how do they get brought back into the fold and then brought in as a part of the show well pretty much uh it all just depends on who they become are they a good guy are they a bad guy are they an asshole are they nice to fans they kind of establish themselves um each each wrestler's most likely going to join a faction Mm-hmm. Um, Pro Wrestling has lots of faction. The faction I, I'm linked with is the Bullet Club, mm-hmm. um, which is quite popular uh, as as a bad guy faction. Then you have Chaos, you have Ally J, which is uh, promote. I'm even going to try and pronounce what it is. It's a, it's a Spanish sounding name. Um, Los Inglos Granables. Maybe you can do a better than me, mate. But yeah, that doesn't sound like anything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that's so. That's a faction that was actually. Uh, invented in Mexican wrestling by yeah. these Japanese guys, um, and then they took it back to Japan. Uh, but that's what they did on Excursion. They made this faction and then came back. So that's how they established themselves. Uh, there's the New Japan faction, which is a lot of the guys that are just, you know, neutral, like Switzerland, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, there's Suzuki-gun, which is probably one of the most more feared factions, mm-hmm. uh, run uh, by one man, and Minoru Suzuki, who is... Uh, was an MMA fighter, uh, did Bellator and uh, all that stuff back in the day, and he's a very pride. I'm pretty sure he was in one of the first prides. Uh, mm. U, is it UWF? Was that the one that was in Japan years ago? Yeah. He's just, he's, just uh, he's one tough man. Like, he's really, yeah, he's really scary. I've been chased by him a couple of times, and I'm just so worried that he's going to kill me one day. But, um,. <laughs> But he has his own faction as well, and yeah. So and that Zack Saber Jr. I was speaking about earlier, he's in that faction, the Suzuki Gun faction. So uh, when you return, you kind of align yourself with one of the factions, and um, yeah, start making your way from there. Well, start trying to get some wins on the board if you can, because uh, mm. once you get wins, you go up the ranks, and then you can have your title shot or whatever it might be. Right now, and do these factions vary in the kind of technical stuff they do? I know that there's regular style and strong style, for example. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so it's called strong style, which started in Japan. Yeah. Uh, uh, look, not necessarily. That depends on the individual wrestlers. Like some people, some members can be quite different in their style. Like uh, you might have Suzuki Gun, where you know Minoru Suzuki is quite a catch can wrestler, and you know loves a good submission hold and happily break someone's ankle. Mm-hmm. Um, and Zack Sabre Jr. is in there, but you also uh, used to have Lance Archer in that group mm-hmm. who would just murder people. So mm-hmm. it really just depended on the wrestler. I think the faction is more based around your ideology. Like, what is it that you want to be in wrestling? Uh, who do you want to align? Who do you want to catch the bus with? Like, does we all have to take separate buses. We're all in separate hotel rooms. We train at separate gyms. It's We get to the venues at separate times. It can be quite a tense situation when we're traveling. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you got to pick your side carefully. Right. Now, you've done a lot in wrestling. I you've outlined so, yeah. a lot. Yeah. Now, what do you, like, with your analyst hat on, what do you see as a good wrestler? Like, what, what are the components to make 
a mm. good wrestler, an engaging wrestler, a good think, guy to work with, you know? Okay. Oh, look, they're, they're okay. two different questions. A good okay. guy to work with and, and a, what's a good wrestler, two very different things. There's okay. a lot of Let's wrestlers, go through both. Okay, there's a lot of wrestlers who are good to work with, um, but fans might not necessarily understand that. And okay. be like, oh, they're boring, or I don't like them. But when you get in the ring with them, you really enjoy the time you're in there. Um, as for what makes a good wrestler, it's really complicated. I think what makes a good wrestler is having the respect of what you're doing. If you believe in what you're doing, if you're there and you take yourself as a professional and you play your role you become a good wrestler into the fans' eyes. If you sit there and take the piss a little bit, mm-hmm. they just go, well, why am I paying money to watch this guy? Like, he's taking the piss out of something I like. Like, a lot of, the, a lot of our fans aren't exactly, you know, rolling around in Range Rovers and wearing Rolexes, right? Mm-hmm. They, they've spent probably their only 20 bucks they have on entertainment that week on pro wrestling. So they're coming to a show and they want to be entertained. Now, whether you're entertaining them as a bad guy or a good guy is up to you, but doing it with a bit of professionalism and a bit of merit is important. If you're doing a wink, wink, nudge, nudge, hey, have a look what I'm doing, but actually like me, um, they're just going to be like, like, if you go to a play, you know, and you're watching, and let's say you're watching a musical, right? So I went to um, Book of Mormon. And I don't know if you went, to, did you go to Book of Mormon at all? No, but... I've okay. seen the South Park here. Yeah. To and be I've honest, heard of it, obviously, yeah. Book of Mormon was one of the most fascinating things I've ever watched. I, at no stage, felt like I was watching a performance. I felt like there was a story happening in front of me, okay? Yeah. In contrast, I was once dragged to Strictly Ballroom, which was <laughs> a completely Australian, which, you know, not against them, but it was. you could definitely see the difference of professionalism, and I felt that I was watching... People act as people. It's like a good actor. What makes a good movie, you know? Uh, I was talking about this to someone the other day. When I watch Jack Black, now he's not a bad actor, but every movie he's in, I'm watching Jack Black. Mm-hmm. Where if you look at someone, uh, I think a really good one, who was I saying? Matthew McConaughey. Mm-hmm. You watch Matthew McConaughey in Dallas Buyers Club and then Wolf of Wall Street, I'm watching two different people. Mm-hmm. So that's the difference with wrestling as well. If I'm watching you be a good guy and then a bad guy, and they're the same, I'm just watching you play a character. I'm watching cosplay. I'm watching someone who wants to be Hulk Hogan when they grow up, right? Mm -hmm. But if I'm watching Gino as the bad guy, Mr. Juicy and Gino are two very different people, right? Mm -hmm. Like, Gino gets death threats because because people legitimately don't like him. And that's okay. That was my job. Where Mr. Juicy was fun and lovable and people thought there was something wrong with me. They thought it was a bit simple. <laughs> because that's the character. And again, it's, it's the same with... That's what makes a good wrestler. Am I watching you believing that you are the person you're portraying? Or do you, am I watching a cosplay? Because cosplay is a massive thing. If you go to a, a comic book convention and you see someone dressed as Batman... You don't think they're Batman. They look like Batman. They even talk like Batman sometimes. But you know they're in a costume. They're not Batman. Mm-hmm. But when Christian Bale is on the screen, you're so into what he's performing, you believe he's Batman. And that's that's the important thing. They need to believe that the person you are portraying is real, is you in some aspect. So that's mm. what makes it. Like we can go like some I have met guys who are probably some of the finest technical catch can wrestlers I've ever met. 
that look like they have never eaten a carb in their life, that mm-hmm. would go on stage tomorrow at Arnold Classic in place and legitimately be the worst wrestlers. And it's not because they're not technically sound. It's not because they don't look good. They are not portraying what a professional wrestler is. Yeah. So that's why I think it's important that you really, you're really giving respect to what you do. Like if you work hard enough, you should respect what you do. Like I've had enough concussions in my life that I'm going to respect what I do. Like I'm not going to be, you know, having CTE problems in the future just so that, you know, I can be laughed at as a professional wrestler. I want people to be like, yeah, he, he was a, a professional wrestler. That's, mm-hmm. that's what I think is important. Now, you've worn many hats. Like yes. performer, promoter, analyst. Yeah. <laughs> and commentator. Yeah. Are we ever going to see, with all the knowledge that you've gathered, uh, Gino the teacher? Um, look, I've done, I've done a couple of classes for the MCW Academy in Thomastown under mm-hmm. Jay Andrews. I d- I've done what I like to call uh, how to network classes, mm-hmm. like how to like carry yourself professionally. Mm-hmm. But my fundamentals are quite poor, to be mm-hmm. honest. I'm probably not seen as the best fundamental teacher, so I would probably say no. Mm-hmm. I don't think... I would like to, but I don't think I'd be doing wrestling justice by teaching someone new something I probably didn't do right. I'm really good at hiding my weaknesses. Mm-hmm. I, I can have a match and actually not take a flat back, like not actually take a, a break fall um, mm-hmm. because I'm so uh, confident in my ability to have a wrestling match without actually wrestling. Um, but when it comes to catch can stuff, when it comes to being fundamentals, because if you don't build a good base to a young kid, they will go their whole career being shit and they'll get to the other end and be like, I got nothing out of it. And it's because their first coach wasn't any good. Now it wasn't that my first coach wasn't any good. It's just, I didn't listen. I didn't put in the time and effort when I first started and I'm paying for it now. Um, I was just lucky. I had a bit of charisma and a bit of talent in other places, but I would say no is probably the best way. I don't think it would be doing anyone justice if I did. Right. Um, you still do have a lot to give. I hope you know that. So yeah. what would you recommend a guy just coming up and, you know, just there like you're like you were like 18 yeah. wanting to get into the scene. What would your advice be to them? The first thing I want to say is don't, to be honest. Uh, mm-hmm. And not, not because I'm negative or, or burnt out. I think, I think 18 is too young. I think 18, you go in, you have this mindset of what you're going to be, and you're going to be a millionaire, and you're going to be all this stuff, and you do it, and then you're all of a sudden so stuck in this whirlpool that it's too hard to get out. I think wait. Wait is probably better than don't. <laughs> so wait those few years until you get to a point where you're like, okay, my body's good. I've worked out a lot, so I'm now 22, 23, and I'm, I'm quite fit. Now I'm going to give this a try. Um, because kids walking at 18 with these really high expectations, they get easily influenced by, I think, people that they shouldn't be influenced by, and before you know it, they've been spat out the other end, mm-hmm. right? So I think if you wait and your brain's a little bit more mature, mm-hmm. um, you will last longer. That would be my experience. So wait until your brain's just a little bit more switched on that you can go, mm, I don't think that's right, <laughs> right? And not mm-hmm. when I'm talking fundamentals. I'm just saying, you, you, just like in everything, you always hear the stories and you're like, well, I'm going to follow this person because I believe their story. Um, and then you end up down the rabbit hole and, and doing something else. So my, my, my thing will be just wait. 
wait until you think you're ready. Yeah, that's probably the best advice, eh? Yes. Yeah. Now, are we going to ever see you back in the ring? <laughs> I'm going to tell you something that you're going to laugh at. Okay. Um, and I've been laughing ever since I've done it. Now, mm-hmm. is it going ahead? I don't know because of everything going on. Um, I've signed up for a bare knuckle boxing fight in Japan. You're kidding. <laughs> you have history of this, though. You've I, boxed I, before. I, I, I have. Well, I've been in a boxing match before. I don't. I spoke to when you told me that you wanted this interview. I thought this might come up, and I spoke very candidly to my boxing friend, and he said, "If you tell that story, you need to expect that your car will get blown up." So I'm not going <laughs> to tell that story. Yeah. Um. Well, look, I've, I've as you said before, I've done a lot in wrestling, but the one thing I've always asked myself is, am I a legitimate fighter? Am I a legitimate tough guy? Or is this been is this a gimmick in my head that's been there for so many years that I believe I can actually do this? I want to test myself. I'm I'm not in the best shape at the moment. I'm luckily uh, using Manshake. If anyone wants to buy Manshake, I'll give you a code that you can put up. Um, and I, I've dropped about 11 kilos so far. I'm trying to drop another 20. Yeah. I just want to challenge myself and say to myself, it's called it's called Lithgo. You called you've heard of Lithgo before? It's I it's a it's a it's an Asian style. It's not like Irish. Ben oh, you mean box. like Lithway, yeah? Yeah. What did I call it? Uh, Lithgo. John Lithgo. <laughs> Can you edit that, please? <laughs> um, start again. So, <laughs> no, just leave it. I think. Yeah, care. good. Okay. Uh, so look, well, look, that's how dumb I am. But look, I've had my nose broken before in wrestling and in fighting. I, I was pretty okay with that. So I'm just interested. Can I do this? It was meant to be for January after. So we have what's called Wrestle Kingdom. Then after Wrestle Kingdom, I was going to do it. I probably needed permission from the boys upstairs before I made that decision, but I just signed it anyway. I'm interested to see what happens. I'm interested to know if I'm capable. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing. It's like when you started doing jutes when you and I first became friends. Mm-hmm. You said to me, no, nah, no, nah, I'm just training. I'm just training. But you get that bug. You get that bug of maybe I can compete. Maybe I can test myself against someone else. You want to know what you're capable of. It's just a natural instinct in us. So I thought to myself, well, I've done 15 years of pro wrestling. Is this tough guy persona real or am I lying to myself? And look, the worst that's going to happen is I die. But, <laughs> but maybe... Maybe I might get the win and I can sit back and go, you know what? I can legitimately hold myself in a professional bare-knuckle boxing fight. That's my claim to fame. I'll tell my kids that. They'll tell their grandkids. I'll put a photo up on at one of my pizza restaurants and, you know, just hope for the best that maybe I won't die. That's, that's all I'm asking. I just don't want to die. Now, obviously, this was all organized pre-corona but was this going to be held in australia or japan japan it was going to be right yeah uh that's a friend of mine did it actually two of my friends have done it both of them much tougher than i am i'm gonna be Mm -hmm. real honest um one of them was a draw one of them won twice Mm -hmm. i said to him he's my friend chris vice i said vicey if i'm in the ring and i see you standing opposite me i'm getting out I'm literally going to leave. There is, this man is like, I've never, you, I'm going to send you a photo. He's jacked to the shit. He's very intimidating. I said, Vice, if they put us together, I'm not doing it. I'm hoping I get, there's this one elderly Japanese man. He's probably in his 50s. He's a bit 
pudgy. He gets in there. You can't knock him out. He's gonna. He's like Butterbean. But I hope <laughs> I get in there with him because he seems nice. I don't feel like he's. I feel like if I go, that's enough. You'll be like, yeah, fair enough. Like. <laughs> right, and so this is gonna be full Lethwire rules. You you know that yeah. they have headbutts, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, I think I'll be okay with headbutts. I was going to say, you've probably caught more than your fair share. You've got a big blockhead, mate. I should yeah. be fine. <laughs> That's crazy. So are you are you training for this? I was. I was just about to all sort of kick off, and then obviously COVID sort of stepped up. But when I came back from Japan in January, I, I contacted my boxing promoter friend, and I was like, can we can we do this? He was so keen. He's like, absolutely, come down to the... Uh, to the gym <laughs> and we'll, we'll get it on so i was just about to, so i might this obviously might be postponed another year but mm-hmm. it's definitely something i want to do before i'm too old before i'm 35 i'm 33 at the moment so two yeah. years at least that is fantastic oh you know what when i set this up i never thought you'd say something yeah. like that <laughs> always i, thought I told you i don't know why yeah. i usually tell you my dumb shit so I yeah. I, I thought I had. <laughs> oh man now Anything else, man? I got nothing. I no. got nothing. Anything to plug? Uh, man shake. Yep. <laughs> uh, Bubba Pizza. Yeah. Mr. Juicy's Chicken. Yeah, tell me about that. So, yeah, so I, I, I look after a couple of pizza stores for a mate of mine, and uh, I noticed he had some deep fryers in the back he wasn't using as often as they probably could have been using. I said, look, what are we... Want to cook some chicken, and uh, we made a few chicken burgers, and a couple of chicken tenders, and I'm like, you know what? I'm let's put my name to this. Let's call it Mr. Juicy's Chicken, which is named after my old wrestling persona, um, and it's really good chicken, man. It's really tender, good burgers, buffalo ranch sauce, all that stuff, all the stuff I like. I can't eat it. I'm dieting at the moment, so I'm yeah. crying every time. Every time I make one, just so you know, it's personally made by me each time. I wear gloves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, fuck, I could eat this. And uh, no, it's been really popular. It's been really popular. Beautiful. Well, we'll put all the links to all of your things. Thanks. Now, Mr. Juicy, thank you very much. You. Wrestler, promoter, <laughs> Lithgow fighter. Lithuanian fighter. <laughs> John Lithgow's uh, associate over here. Thank you so thank much, you. man. Thank you, mate. Appreciate it. Yeah.